0: Welcome to Hot Laps. Brought to you by Heat Shield Products. Race Testing.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Hot Laps. We are on lap number 10, double digits. Uh, Pretty incredible. Um, uh, Before we begin though, we want to remind everybody out in social media land to uh, stay safe during this time and Keep in mind, we're Americans, right? And uh, we're not going to let this virus, this Chinese no. virus, get us down. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, the the, uh, the Kung flu. No, not, yeah, not going to get this, me.
2: The country was settled by pioneers going across the West. I mean, those brave people that came across the ocean right. before mm-hmm. the brave people went out West. So, um, you know, we're, we're a tough country. We can handle it. And this is why you buy American people. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So we're here, uh, we're doing this thing, and... Um,
2: we hope that you're uh, safe wherever you are.
1: Yeah, so today we're going to talk some shop with uh, Patrick Hill, and he's uh, part of our team out in Florida. Absolutely. And uh, welcome, Patrick, and he's in hes uh, in charge of some of our marketing and media, and uh, if you've ever read our blog on our website or our email blast, uh, that's done by Patrick. So Patrick, thanks for coming in and... Yeah. Being the guinea pig for Skype here, Patrick. It yeah, out. he's
2: our first Skype guest, and he's also the wordsmith. He, unfortunately for poor Patrick, when I'm writing a product description because I am not a wordsmith, he has to translate Steve
0: and make it something that <laughs> all of you
2: can understand. Yeah, he's got to put it in English, because Steve doesn't always talk English. Well, so welcome aboard, Patrick. Okay.
0: It's it's a lot easier. I've had to translate engineer speak before.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's rough, dude. Engineer is rough.
0: So
1: welcome Patrick. Thanks for being on. Well, thank you guys for having me on. I know it's it's early
0: out there, not so early for me here in Florida.
2: Yeah. But, but um, and, and like you're and saying. we're and we're all we're all hunkered down. You're you're a rare person right now in Florida because you are hunkered down inside a bar and they're all
0: closed. Yeah, well this is I have the keys to
2: the place yeah.
0: and I just come here during the day. This is kinda like my off site to get out of the house and Um, and I also keep an eye on the place during the day and help the owner out because he lives about an hour away.
2: Keep an eye on the liquor. Yeah. No one, no one I knew that owns a bar was ever dumb enough to give me a key. So obviously (laughs) you're a trustworthy person, whereas I may not have been, um, and I still may not be, but I don't know. Ah, you're trustworthy. I like to think I grew out of that, but.
0: What's even better, too, is, is we have a small kitchen in here, and I have access to the deep fryer. Oh, oh yeah.
2: deep fried Twinkies yet or Snickers? Have you done any of that yet?
0: No, uh, we haven't done any of that yet, but I, we have a whole other assortment.
2: How about of, some deep fried heat shield? <laughs> oh,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> He's from Florida. Deep fried gator tail. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: we do, have, we do have great wings here. I bet. Hey, well, normally we have a, a kickoff question, but I, I switched it up a little bit today because I think it's pretty important that we discuss some stuff here, and, and I just want to talk about the idea of made in the USA and the importance of buying American, right? And I don't know, Steve, it couldn't be more important right now, it seems to me, and I just want you to kind of tell everybody again, our policy on our raw materials and the stuff we make here, and has it affected the production at Heat Shield, or what's, yeah. the, what's the deal?
2: So far, our supply chain is great. We don't have any trouble. Um, and again, we're all the employees, we've stressed to them, hey, you only come in if you feel safe, only come in if you want to be here. Um, just because, you know, I don't want anybody to feel like intimidated, like they got to come into work. They just need okay. to, And you your know, job, your job is secure. That's right. Your job yeah. is secure. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, I think just more than ever, people should have been buying American all along for, right. for a lot of reasons. Um, it keeps money in this country, keeps people employed in this country, keeps the money in this country. Right. And then, um, instances like this where there's like a global supply. Now, now does it mean, um, Like, I got a buddy locally that makes just these unbelievable headers. He's just, he's such a skilled fabricator. And he was never able to sell them because the Chinese stuff would always come in and it was like a 25% of the cost. But now that Trump had put those tariffs and everything in, he was able to finally start selling headers. And he thinks things are finally costing what they should have all along. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what it is like that cheap. Those cheap $2 shirts you buy at Walmart, those all have a price. Your kids can't get jobs, you know, um, those types of things. So it's important to keep the money here in this country. When it comes to insulation, like what we're selling, yeah, a lot of the Chinese stuff, the stuff you see it on eBay, and I always just try to tell people, just be safe. I understand you don't always have the money for something. Some of that stuff, especially the insulation stuff, is extremely high risk. Cheap exhaust wrap. It's not made of fiberglass. They'll say it's a ceramic wrap, which... Sounds great because ceramic can take a higher temperature than fiberglass, and it can. The problem is ceramic has a shorter fiber. Get into your lungs. Yeah. Very hazardous. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ve- dude, totally. The long-term effects here are, are not good on a lot of these things. So, man, just use discretion. And it's not even like just when you put it on. It's like because a lot of the stuff gets cooked, gets brittle, falls apart, and those fibers are around you and in the air and by everybody you're around with. So, um it sucks it just it sucks that this is where we are but maybe maybe we all learn a lesson this time and we you know we, we we support our country support our allies support the people that you know support us support us yeah. that's right yeah
1: yeah i mean so you said you know we tell everybody if they want to come in they can come in if they don't they can stay home but i mean production wise we're 100 percent. yeah 100 I mean, percent, and our
2: where sales are strong so that's good
1: yeah, and we want to just thank everybody for yes, that. Yes, thank you all very much yeah. for that.
2: And We're very blessed, and we're probably very unique, but we're very blessed, and we appreciate it all.
1: Yeah, so, I mean.
2: Now, let's get Patrick's feedback yeah, on let, Let's get I, a
1: question out for Patrick. I now. was just going to ask Patrick about, you know, where he, where he stands and what he sees in the automotive industry about made in the USA. And, you know, it's pretty early to see if there's any tides changing right now. But, um, I mean, Patrick, what's your view on that?
0: Um, well a couple a few different things on that. Uh, one to something Steve was talking about earlier too, and he mentioned you know some of the materials that are coming from offshore that aren't exactly the safest in the world and he's talking about the short fibers of the ceramic. there's also something people need to be aware of on that too is, is as that, as that material is heating up, what kinds of things fumes that you're yeah. seeing not seeing that are getting released that if you inhale a good whiff of that stuff, you start smelling and inhaling it long enough, it's going to screw you up pretty bad. Yep. You know, some toxic fumes and whatnot, <clears throat> but you know, overall, as far as the made in America goes, one of the big, this you know, this started a while ago. And one of the biggest factors was labor costs, you right. know, as labor costs started rising and everybody went, Hey, wait a second. I can move this out of the country My labor, the cost of making the product via labor goes down immensely. And at first it seemed like it was a good thing. But then as more experience was gained, then you find out, oh, okay. There's the negative of our stuff's being made in sweatshops now. And, you know, products being made in sweatshops in less than ideal conditions that can present a PR nightmare. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You also have the quality factor, the consistency factors of, you tell them to make it to an, a spec and they'll make it to that spec, but can they consistently make it to the spec? Right. And they'll also without telling you the manufacturers over there, if they can find a way to make that product cheaper and still meet what your technical specs are, they'll do it without telling you about a change and unknowingly, then you start getting that product in thinking it's the same thing, but it's really not. And then once it gets out into the environment and is used, you can start getting feedback of people having problems and you're like, well, this has never happened before. Nothing's changed that we know of. You know, what's causing this? And then that eats up your – that eats up resource time, diagnostic, and then eats into money for people returning product. And then they start telling other people, hey, I bought some of their stuff and it did this. Don't buy it.
1: Right, right. So
0: you've got the, yeah. you've got those factors there. Um, and then now – so everybody knows we've been fighting the – well, maybe we've been fighting isn't the right term so there's been the whole push for globalism right the last of years well now this current situation with the virus and the outbreak exposes one of the biggest problems with the whole globalism thing and how once one domino falls in the supply chain when it comes to globalism that first one falls and everything can fall after that and you know for a lot of people who are getting products made overseas and it's and I mean it's not just China it's it's all over the world this is a pandemic now you get into okay what's going to happen when shipments are delayed things are held up in ports cuz cuz most of the stuff coming from overseas comes via a ship freight so then those ships they can't come into port cuz there's no places to dock or god forbid a ship pops up they've got someone who's exposed to the virus well guess what Nothing is being taken off that ship yeah, hour, more, how long until the, until the biohazard situations handled. So now you have a whole lot more risks associated with your supply chain because of this, that and, and you don't know when something like a pandemic is going to pop up or an international conflict or a trade war or other things. So there, there really are those advantages to, hey, we, we want to keep this in house. We want to keep it inside our borders. Where we know the things are under control And we don't have to worry about this You know, and another aspect of it too Is the whole um, you, you know, and, and it's also not just The overall products being made But you also have the situation with The stuff you need to make your products Sorry, hold on a second I thought I muted that I apologize, guys
2: um, Oh, they, they, dude, they're coming for you They know that there's a person inside a bar That shouldn't be They're coming for you black helicopters overhead i
0: have no doubt i've been on an fbi watch list for long before this (laughs) but but you know but it's it's the raw materials that are coming in because you know the steel industry in america gets talked about a lot what happened is the steel industry hit a downturn in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s what was going on the chinese were coming over here and they'd go into the northeast pennsylvania and the steel belt all over the place they would buy whole ref- whole steel steel mills and plants refin or basically steel refineries and they they disassemble them box them up ship them right over to china set them back up as they were before and start yep. cranking that stuff out yep mm-hmm. and, and that and that put a serious hurt on the steel industry here in the country it's turned a corner and things are starting to come back and even more so now you know what If this, right now what we're dealing with, if this had happened like 15, 20 years ago, as far as the steel industry goes, there would be a lot of bad things happening right now. Because, I mean, like the automakers and other people would have a hard time getting the steel to build. I I mean, steel rebar for any sort of construction, Yeah. that would be a big problem. Mm. So we've got those advantages there on the supply chain side and the manufacturing side. And, And most importantly, too, is on the manufacturing side, quality control monitoring and testing each product and, and knowing that, hey, it doesn't matter the product we made a year ago, two years ago, three years ago to the product we're making today, it is the same. It's
2: right. going to act the
0: same, install the same, everything. And and people can count on that. Right. I, I, I,
2: I concur 100%. Yeah, getting back kind of what you're talking to, this the, the sweatshops or the, the slave labor. I mean, right now, like, you know, we're all pretty – I don't know I'd say we're concerned not panicked or worried I mean certainly nobody in this room is panicked or worried but there are Americans who have or are right now I should say but just think of, you could be some cog in a machine because that's how the the government views you over there in Wuhan on lockdown and your situation would be pretty bleak so you know we it might be rough out there for some people and some people it is rough right yeah. some people are genuinely afraid they're in a high Exposure area and you know god bless you hunker down and obviously stay safe, right? Um, but you know it could always be worse you could be over there and those yeah. people have no hope really I mean they have yeah. nothing to well, uh, look forward to like,
0: Where you guys are at in California you have a high immigrant population and people who have come from countries where They've seen things like this happen before and that's why you're seeing a lot of runs on stuff Is because a lot of people are like we know what this is like we've been here before we're gonna go ahead and mm-hmm. stock them now, even though they don't have to worry about supply interruptions and everything else, like their native countries. Right. I mean, in Florida, we're kinda of used to this. Whenever you know, you get a hurricane warning coming in and it's like, Okay, I gotta you know, I need to go stock up on essentials. And you know, there is a threat too. We don't know if we're gonna be able to have power or water right. supply is gonna keep working, stuff like that. Things that we're not dealing with in this crisis right now. But, like, when I go out to the stores and go other places, it's worse than when a hurricane is yeah. coming. How are yeah. acting? Yeah. It's pretty
2: strange. It's, it is strange. I guess the one silver lining out here would be maybe some more people would be prepared in case there ever is a big earthquake. I mean, they're yeah. telling us, you know, one's coming every year and it doesn't. Of course, now that I said that, I shouldn't say that. Oh, yeah. But at least maybe people will be a little prepared for it now because, you know, they've they've stocked up or whatever. But some people are just going nutty with it. But anyway, let's. Uh, is there is there something to lighten the mood around here? Oh yeah. Okay, we, good. We got something to lighten. All right, let's let's lighten the mood. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, yeah. Let's let's change the change the people uh, get enough subject. of
2: this. Yeah. This the kung flu on the news. They don't need to hear it from here.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Patrick. So, um, I kind of wanted to know and and uh, your first car. So we talk a lot about our cars in here, and so I think it's interesting uh, to find out your first car when you when you got a car. Did you get it out of necessity or is it something that you wanted? Was it like, I want a hot rod or I want to, you know, or you kind of just fell into your family car. I just was interested in that.
0: Oh yeah. Well, it, it was, it was, I was in high school and for a brief period, I either drove one of my parents' cars or I drove one of my parents' cars or I, um, Actually, my grandmother lived with us for a little while, so I drove her 1987 Olds Delta 88. Yes, yes. right. <laughs> so Suckers
2: my, to the side. I know you hate my eight. Oh, it's a, is it a 98? Isn't that it? <laughs> yeah. Man, never mind. Sorry.
0: Sorry. It's a nosemobile. Right. Also, yeah. but um, but past that, so my my real first vehicle was I bought the 88 Ford Ranger Super Cab that my dad had bought new in December of 1988. Then passed to my brother in the 90s when he graduated from college. And I was in a junior high school working at AutoZone. And I needed – I wanted my own vehicle. I needed my own vehicle. And my brother was getting rid of the truck, so I bought it off of him. And I bought it off of him with 140,000 miles. And then I sold it in 2003 with 207,000 miles on the clock. Yeah. When I bought my current Silverado that I still drive today.
2: Yeah, dude, those OG Rangers, I mean, Ford missed the mark on the new one, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it, you oh, know, God, yeah. but those OG Rangers were, dude, they were awesome. And, dude, they went forever, man. Those things just, I mean, my uncle had oh, one yeah. at his big A for delivery truck, mind you. Delivery truck is hard. It's start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Dude, that thing had like 230,000 miles on it before he had to redo the head on it. I mean, that thing was great. It was yeah. bulletproof.
1: Yeah. I had a 91. Was yeah.
0: was pretty t- tired. It, you know, and the time by the mileage, it wasn't making that. But it, it started up and it ran. And, you know, you just had to plan ahead for merging into traffic on the interstate <laughs> and passing. Yeah. There you go. Yeah.
1: Now, mine was a 91. I got it as a junior in high school because I my dad was over me destroying all the cars that I had done. So I got a newer truck. It was great. I had one upgrade. It was a headliner. That was it. But that sucker mm-hmm. ran forever. I think I put two hundred sixty thousand miles on it before I got rid of it. Yeah, wow. And that was four cylinder, five speed. I never had any problems. It was all over Mexico surfing. But yeah, a great, great truck. So you got in the yeah, car. Sorry, was
0: a dual plug head. That when it came time to do a tune up on the. Dual plug, two three. The the passenger side you had to go to the driver's side and change the spark plugs. It was a royal pain in the butt. Yeah.
1: So you got into cars. You had the '91 Ranger. You got the Silverado. When did you figure out you could kind of make a living in the automotive industry, writing and stuff?
2: Yeah. When did you start? Uh, when did you start writing? Because you used to write for Ten, right?
0: Right. I used to be associated with Super Chevy Magazine. I actually goes way way back. Um, my dad started working in the industry in the mid sixties, he was in advertising and marketing ah. and he did the, he was the head of advertising and marketing for crane cams for most of his life with a small stint in the seventies doing advertising and marketing for Holly during uh, from 1970 through 76. Cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I've literally grown up around the industry my whole life and the writing and my dad would do some writing for national dragster and other thing over the years. So that's where I picked up a lot of it, and I had always been around the magazine guys because they would be coming to see my dad to get parts for projects, and guys would be coming to selling ads, you know, that sort of thing. So I always knew a lot of them, and I decided pretty early on that that's I like that, that's what I wanted to do, and I'd always had kind of a, a knack for writing. So it it kind of moved on from there, where all through high school, college, whatnot, that's what I wanted to do.
1: That's yeah, that's.
0: Sounds good. I mean, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you come up with some pretty strange ideas. I mean, we've gotten video vlogs of you lighting stuff on fire, putting stuff underwater.
2: Dude, the new blog is epic. It's so, particularly relevant right now.
1: Yeah. I just, I went. I wanted to get, like, can we get yeah. into your mind and figure, out how do you come up with the ideas of that? Oh,
0: <laughs> the scary thing is it really doesn't involve alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, It's sober. I, I I go on my own wavelength a lot, and I also have several friends who also work with cars and shop owners in the area, and we, we talk all the time, and sometimes it's we'll, we'll be talking about stuff and an idea will you know, come together, or honestly, sometimes I'll be not thinking about cars at all, I'll be doing something else, and all of a sudden, something will hit me out of nowhere, and I'll be like, hey, that, that would be pretty cool, Let's let's talk about it. So I'm I am all over the map. I probably Gosh. have ADD, if not some bizarre form of um, autism. Probably, <laughs> Just the way my, my brain works sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah that that's nuts. Um, what are you working on? Like, what have you been working on lately? I noticed uh, we got some video stuff of you out in a car show. Obviously, before the country is on social pressure to be locked down, but.
0: Yeah, so I was at the recent uh, NMRA uh, spring break shootout at Bradenton Motorsports Park. That was their first event of the season. And this was well before everything really started getting out of hand with the virus. And I was shooting some footage there, um, which is funny because I'm predominantly a GM guy, a Chevrolet guy, but I've had Fords in the past, as we were just talking about. And you know, I have an appreciation for the Fords, like the stuff, and, and you know, there's some neat things on that hey, side. Now,
2: now, Patrick, I shouldn't tell you this because you'll hold it over my head. <laughs> One time I had to use a Chevy to tow a Ford <laughs> home. Because really? I, yeah. I, oh, I, a lot of jokes uh, there. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a good story about that. Some guy was I was up in Hermosa Beach. Okay. Some guy in a Porsche with this chick with him, he thought it was – that was when my Mustang wasn't even painted. Mm-hmm. And I, I, dude, I I smoked him off the line, but I hurt the engine real bad. Oh, it, I turned it into a two piece crankshaft. Ooh! And then I had to go get my dad's Chevy uh, van that he had for the cartridge deliveries. Oh, <laughs> Rent God. a trailer and tow the Mustang home, <laughs> dude. It was a bummer. Man. Uh, he was pissed. <laughs> he was he was not happy with me. So oh, yeah. I, that's why I had to use hmm. the van. He wouldn't let me use the truck, and it was just whatever. But anyway, you can hold that over my head now. Get back to your story, Patrick.
0: Uh, but um. <laughs> So I was there and saw some interesting things. I mean, the car show was predominantly Mustangs, though it was pretty neat. I shot some video on the uh, the BMW, the 7 Series, with the Ford Coyote in it. Yeah, that's a cool build, dude.
1: And we have video of that, and we are going to produce that and put it up on YouTube for everybody to see. Yeah. Very yeah, shortly.
0: Those cars, it's an interesting thing. So those cars came out in the 90s, and they had that BMW. It was a v, V12. Mm-hmm. Memory, yeah, it was mm-hmm. a V12. And very, the car was neat looking, but that motor was extremely problematic for BMW, and you know, very over-engineered, and tight tolerances, not a lot of, of gimme. And I've oh. seen it happen to a couple other BMWs where oh, the engineers. Are, are
2: you sure Ford, you're you're a German, an over-engineered German car? Are you sure? Never, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs>
0: but um, you know, where they didn't take into account where. It, or it'd be like, no, that's not going to wear. It's no problem. And how wear affects tolerances and everything else. So, but anyway, so those cars going into the late 90s, early 2 going into the late 90s, early 2000s, those cars became real popular for American V8 swaps. And one of the most popular ones was the, the second gen LT1. A lot of guys would put second gen LT1s out of Corvettes and of Corvettes and Camaros. And then later on, once the LS motor came on the scene, then those started happening. But to see one with a Coyote stuffed into it is pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, A guy took a Coyote in a six-speed setup, and I talked to him a little bit uh, last year. I'd seen the car last year, too. And he said, you know, I want to do something different, and I had access to this motor and transmission. So I decided, hey, what the hell, let's build it.
2: I can't believe he got it in there because, I mean— I personally think the Coyote is a, it's a great motor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, from an engineering standpoint, the power per liter is insane on those things. Right, they're just a dude. They're just like a, it's like trying to put a Lincoln Continental in an engine bay. You know what I mean? They're just, oh yeah, they're just too big. They're so tall. Yeah, the heads, the heads are massive.
0: Physically speaking, going back to the old mod motors, even the two valve mod motors. They were dimensionally bigger than the old 427 camera Yeah. From the 60s. Yeah. And which, those things were not
2: small. Yeah, dude. Like a ti- I think a timing chain on a 427 camera will go around the equator, as I understand it. So that's how big a coyote is. It's bigger than that. Yeah.
1: Wow. Well, this yeah, this sucker shoehorned in there.
2: Yeah, it's dude. It's sweet though. Yeah. It is sweet looking, and it's cool that it, it is different. I mean, if it was just an L just an LS, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be rad because you could probably have some room for some turbos in there too, right. you know, right. but the Coyote just makes it different.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, and going back to when I was on super Chevy, this popped up all the time. Cause I always, a lot of guys got kind of, a why would you do that? That doesn't make a lot of power. And, and everybody becomes focused on horsepower. Not that that's an issue with a Coyote, but you know, there was times when guys would show up with cars that they had taken the straight six in the car and done some stuff to it. Like I remember I was at the Denver Super Chevy show and this guy had built a really cool 55, 210 two-door sedan and he had built the 235 inline six, put a multi-carb intake on it, put a T5, no, it was a super T10 he put behind it four-speed and this thing just looked great. Everybody was like, well, why would you do that? It doesn't make any power, you know, a stock 327 or whatever would make more power than that. And it fell into that line Everybody else had a small block in their car. He wanted to be different. Sure. He wanted yeah. to stand out. Yeah. And you get into that where it is – it's not – it, it shouldn't always be about horsepower, which, I mean, maybe that's blasphemous for some people. But there comes a point when you go to a show, and if everything is close to being the same, nothing's going to stand out. Whereas if you're that one, you're that one guy who – yeah. I don't have as much, near as much horsepower as those guys, but my engine and my look is totally different. That car is going to be the one to stand out amongst everything, and it's going to end up getting more attention, too.
2: You know, the thing, too, with with more horsepower, high horsepower, that type of thing, you got to do a lot of stuff to the chassis and the suspension because you can have all the horsepower in the world, but if you don't get it to the ground... Twist and it shout. doesn't do you any good, you know. Oh, so yeah.
0: well, that's why a low horse always, you know, you see where low horsepower, lower horsepower cars beat higher horsepower cars because you can have seven, eight hundred horsepower under the hood, but if you don't have enough surface area tire in the rear or the front for our front-wheel drive guys, if you don't have enough surface area tire where the power getting put, yeah, you're just you're gonna smoke the tires, you're gonna spin, yeah, you're not gonna do much of anything, yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and sometimes a bigger motor, too, if you're going around, like, corners, you know, if you go left and right, yeah. Um, sometimes a bigger motor is just an anchor up front, and it affects your handling while you – if you get a straightaway, sure, you can make up time there. So it's, it is – it's always
0: about balance,
2: you know? Yeah. yeah, well,
0: and I've talked to people who, who run SCCA and, and a lot of guys who do autocross auto and track days, and they even talk about the fact that sometimes the car with less horsepower is easier to drive because instead of having to feather the throttle, play with the brakes and everything, because you've got so much horsepower and torque, you could break loose. Lower horsepower where you're not having to worry about traction. Right. For the most part, then it's like, okay, foot in, foot out.
2: Foot right. in,
0: foot up. Boom. And then your mind can focus on a lot, of, lot more stuff. Right. Than having that constant worry of, okay, don't hit the throttle too hard, or I'm going to break the tires loose and have issues.
2: Yep i totally agree it's time to answer those burning questions it's tech time
0: here on hot laps
2: we're, we're gonna let patrick and shane answer the tech questions today oh, i will just yeah. interject that way we can get a little more out of somebody over here the okay. librarian I'm, let's that maybe that's his podcast name he's the librarian because he's quiet over here hi i'm
1: shane from heat shield the librarian <laughs> 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 All right, so the first question comes from Mark. Mark, thank you for the question. Mark's got a 320 horsepower snowmobile. <laughs> so, Mark, if you're yeah, listening, hey, I'm a, that's I'm a snowmobile expert. Uh, that kind of <laughs> God bless you. Yeah, yeah, that thing's pretty road one to work today. Killer. Anyway, his uh, oh, question.
2: Wisconsin. Yeah.
1: <laughs> his question is he's interested in the header shield, uh, but he wanted to know. Um, Can you run that along with the header wrap? Obviously, he's got a major heat problem. Sure. And what he said was basically I got a half inch away from the gas tank. um, Comparing he he upgraded the header, but it used to be three quarters of an inch. Now it's a half inch, and he's literally burning through the tank. So his question was if I wrap my exhaust with exhaust wrap and I cover it with header, is is that worthy or how would you... No. skin that cat. No. yeah I, I wouldn't do that yeah. i would i would use the header the header armor mm-hmm. and then and then something to insulate the tank yeah like a lava like the he, the thick lava shield or something yeah or a sticky, sticky shield, shield yeah, yeah lava shield so th- he's, he's focus on both rather than just yeah. the one so yeah. is,
2: is what'll happen if you put like the any of the armor wraps over like a fiberglass or even the lava the only one that it might work on would be the silica wrap mm-hmm is what's going to happen is they'll get brittle, yeah, because they're going to have even more heat retained in them. They'll they'll exceed their operating temperature. They'll it, fall apart, and then your yeah, then the armor or the heat shield or whatever is going to rattle around because it's not going to be tight on the pipe. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I, I think this is a question that probably comes up in a lot of people's mind because some people think more is better, but not rea- always. No. Yeah, the reality yeah. here is is don't do it, and, yeah. and I think our suggestion to to you, uh, Mark, is wrap. Or cover the uh, one pouch. or the other, yeah. yeah, and and then use a barrier shield on your um, time yeah. armor. Yeah.
2: Armor will stop more heat than the wrap, so that's what I would do. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's right.
0: um, yeah. You know something else in there too, and we've we've talked about this with other people, is also keeping more heat in that exhaust header if it's a tubular exhaust header too. Is what's the gauge of the metal, and can it handle? Beso- can it handle all the extra heat that double shielding it would yeah. cause too. Yeah. You know that that creates the myth of oh, exhaust wrap destroys headers. Well, no, it's not the headers that are getting destroyed. It's the wrap is doing its job keeping more heat in, but the metal that the, the header is made from is not capable of withstanding that. <laughs>
2: Might be Chinese metal. Yeah. The, yeah. The rule of thumb is again get back to the first segment of the <laughs> show. Exactly. If it's if it's a, if it's an import header, don't don't put anything on it. You know but yeah. if it's you know thick gauge made in america steel you know you can get away so like uh like heavy duty trucks so this is this is well turn this into that so you know people talk about the the wrap you know and oh man they argue it'll it'll well i mean back in the 70s when there was like the and i don't want to single a certain company out but there was one large header manufacturer and this is you know people just didn't know so the header was cheap thin wall steel and when you wrapped it 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 did that, but again, working in other industries like marine, like heavy duty trucks, like heavy duty equipment, they completely wrap their exhaust there. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. the reason is is the heat doesn't fatigue the metal because the metal's a thicker wall. So on cars, it's a price point thing. Thin wall, thin wall steel, man. I just use the armor, let it breathe out. Let it breathe, yeah. let it breathe, let it breathe. Don't use a wrap. If you've got thicker steel, then use a wrap. It it's fine if you feel more comfortable using it. The wrap's easier around bends, but the armor is super easy and simple, especially on straight runs and stuff like that. It's just it's just a no-brainer. Just yeah. use it.
1: Right on. Next one comes from Keith. Uh, Keith wants to know about the lava shield, so thank you for your question, Keith. says, I'm considering using the la- lava shield on the engine side of my firewall, which is a good thing to do. Uh is the product vulnerable to chemical, and can it be cleaned after insulation?
2: Uh, it is not. So the basalt fiber, the magma, the lava rock fiber, it's naturally chemical, um, oil, water, even acid resistant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat stuff. And it uh, looks good. And it looks good. You can clean it. No pressure washers, because it's it's gonna think of it like it'd be like hitting your T-shirt with a pressure washer. It's gonna shred it, right? Right. Yeah. But if you wanted to like dilute some simple green or some other kind of degreaser, proper power, or something like that, real mild, like mix it a real mild mixture. Just use a little brush and you can get it off that way.
1: Cool. Two thicknesses on that lava shield. Yeah. So
2: on the firewall versus something like a thicker lid, one. Go Thick with one. the thicker Thick one. Thick one. Thick one. A trans tunnel that type. I mean, if it's me uh, again, I'm a I'm a function over form i would sticky shield a firewall i I mean that's why the bronco it's in your face when you pop the hood on it but it's sticky shield right there um it works better but if you gotta balance gucci and performance then the thick lava shield is the way to go yeah so thick there yeah all right what was the answer for the guy that had the problem with the tape on sticking to his okay
0: so our our facebook follower the guy our guy in australia and he was having he's supposed to be sending me some more pictures today obviously we're dealing with the massive time difference Mm -hmm. i was actually talking to him till about 11 o'clock last night our time and he he was he was happy with the product except for in areas where he so on our website there's the picture of the viper where heat shield armor and sticky shield has been installed under that leg pipe fairing that those early vipers had mm-hmm. and he was doing something similar to a vehicle in australia and in a couple of areas he was having problems where the edges of the tape according to what he told me the edges of the tape were curling up not everywhere just in a couple of spots so i asked him to send us some pictures so we could look at those areas see what it's doing and get the details to figure out you know what what's going on to um to get everything settled up for him because he he ordered he ordered everything he, yeah. spent, a, he spent about a thousand dollars ordering everything through summit racing to get the products over wow
2: the yeah wow um he could have got it from the parts down in uh in australia maybe saved himself a few bucks but hey it's, it's good to support summit man we need to keep the u.s economy going so yeah. any mm-hmm. international listeners please feel free to buy from a u.s dealer. It's yeah link to that yeah so,
0: not sure why he decided to go with summit when we do have someone over there yeah
2: but. hey what maybe he didn't maybe he didn't have all the parts so the, the secret there is to clean it before you put it down so a lot of times shane's more of an expert at this because he's done more installs so like when you're pushing the sticky shield in you know you got oil and stuff on your hands um, you always want to wipe that down first and then put the tape down. Shane yeah. can speak more on that because he's kind of the yeah, professional. We're,
1: we're, I usually wear gloves, latex gloves. When oh, I there you it. go. And I clean the surface. So Before that you put helps. the tape on yeah. the edge. Yeah, yeah. And that
2: makes a big difference. Yeah, well,
1: And Shane is meticulous. I I mean, yeah, yeah I, I try to be.
0: The surface, because the surface of the sticky shield is and, and it's, it's similar to like, how the foil surface is of the heat shield armor and the sticky shield. It's not a flat surface. It's got the the bumps and the texture to it as part of the design and obviously if you're going to put the tape on there you know your surface area you're only going to be contacting the higher points of the surface so you know that's something else that people have got to keep in mind when they're using the tape on that is to as they're installing it kind of press it down right so you get more surface area contact with the tape along seams and whatnot right yep
2: yeah, another trick too is uh, I think people
1: might be missing is I use brake clean and I clean the outside perimeter of the the aluminized side of the sticky shield
2: mm-hmm. before putting the tape yeah. on. There you go, pro tip, pro tip from a pro. Yep, our pro. All right, is that it?
1: No, we got a product showcase real quick. I mm. just wanna, we're on the subject of made in America, and I
2: just wanted to
1: talk about
2: our. That's our Ditto Cam.
1: Lava if you're starter on the ditto shield.
2: cam, the lava starter shield. There right. you
1: go. And uh, temperature rating, Steve, if you will. 1,200 degrees. The process of insulation. It's that easy. Yeah, just yeah. install it, it. Yeah, hook and loop.
2: Hook and loop on. Thank you, Shane. I almost used a word I wasn't supposed to. Um, Super easy. Never had one fall off, and we've been making them since 1985 with wow. the hook and loop fastener. So hey, Sizes uh small body starters like that one which is the most common and then we do have the larger shield for the older um Ford and GM starters um it, it actually really was a thing that was in the early days was real common on motorhomes mhm cuz any 350 powered motorhome they were always underpowered not because of the motor but because of the it's just you know the a motorhome you're trying to power the thing yeah so you put headers down there and it would cook the solenoid and GM always had the solenoid on the top of the starter. Well, everybody's gone to the solenoid on top of the starter in their small body. And even though the starters have shrunk in size, we're jamming more things into smaller areas. So you still need them. Yeah. yeah. So what yeah. you're trying to do is prevent that solenoid from overheating so the starter will engage. It's you know, less about the motor and more about the solenoid.
0: Yeah, we haven't seen it yet, Steve. But then there's also a lot of the newer motors some of the, the a lot of the import motors i don't know if there are any domestic motors where the engineers mounted the starter in the valley oh yeah intake.
1: And oh, some toyota so v8s are
2: that way no poor design
0: whatsoever and when one of those starters goes bye-bye you know it's expensive because half the motor's got to come apart to change it yeah Yeah. what
2: Appalachian genius thought that was a good idea holy toledo man that's that does not i mean there's just no that's one of those things where it seems great because you're trying to stuff it somewhere and there's a Mm -hmm. there's a there's a there's a Mm -hmm. gap there don't get me wrong But, dude, maintenance people, engineers out there, hello. In in the real world, things break down, and they need to be replaced. So please think of that when you're designing products.
0: But, no, that's one that Chrysler got on everybody, though, is the gear reduction starter. When Chrysler came out with that in the 60s, and it was like, oh, hey, this is really good. We're not seeing starter failures like everybody else does or like even used to.
2: And and it took took a while for everyone else to catch on, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, thank everybody
1: for listening. And, again, stay safe. Yeah. We, Wash those hands. Yeah. yeah,
2: don't don't panic. Stay calm. Yeah, use common sense. And you if know.
1: you are at home and you want to watch our YouTube channel,
2: Steve. Yeah, it's at anything at Heat Shield Products, uh, Anchor Anchor FM, iHeart Radio. I'm sorry, it's Hot Laps. Excuse me. That's the episode. the The podcast name is Hot Laps. Um, Anchor, iHeart, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere. Please, if you like it, leave us a little five-star review and a thank you or a thumbs up or whatever. It really does help us, so please do that. And then you can follow us on social media at HeatShieldProducts, and then go check out the website, HeatShieldProducts.com, or send Patrick and Chris a message through Instagram at HeatShieldProducts. Yeah, we invite your feedback.
0: Instagram, Facebook, you know, you could always get a hold of someone easily from, from any of the social media channels. For
2: sure, yeah, Absolutely. All right.
0: All right.
1: Hunker in place.
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah. hunker in place.
2: Thank you. We'll see you next time, guys. Yep. Have a good one, everyone. Bye, Patrick. See you, Patrick.
0: From everyone at Heat Shield Products, we thank you for listening to Hot Laps. Leave that review, subscribe, tell a friend, and most of all, stay cool. We'll see you next time right here on Hot Laps.